Hi everybody. Hello internet. Mike here. Uh, I'm going solo today. Andy's not here. I'm tired of Andy getting all the attention, all the accolades, all the sympathy. Uh, people saying I'm too mean to Andy because of his weird tastes in sports and coffee and beer. Listen, guys, Andy, this is not called the Andy Lara podcast, all right? This is the Mike Erie podcast, and I will not have, I will not share my glory with another. Um, no, Andy's sick today. His little girl is sick today, so he's at home, and I'm, I'm recording solo. It's Monday. People are going, where is it? Where, where's the Vox? Well, it's right here. It's happening, but I'm alone, listless, breakfast table in an otherwise empty room. Young girl, violins, center of her own attention. If you know where those lyrics come from, please tweet me. Um, if you don't, you need to look them up and become culturally literate. So um, I'm so glad that you're tuning in. It, it is an absolute joy to uh, have a part in your life. And we hear all of these crazy stories from all over the world of people tuning in. And so I just, uh, I marvel at the idea um, uh, that, that there will be thousands of people who listen, uh, to this. And, um, I just think it's absolutely amazing. Um, and, and Andy, I want you to know, this started out by just me asking Andy, Andy, can you please show me how to do a podcast? And then Andy says, no, no, no I'll help you run it. And then now he's a co-host and now he's taking over. Do you see, do you see how this works? Man, I gotta watch that guy. Um, so we're talking about spiritual abuse, and as we talked about last time, abuse is a really loaded word. And so I'd highly encourage if you haven't listened to the previous podcast to do that, only because we've got to be really clear on what it is and what it's not. And uh, because we live in such a therapeutic culture and a self-help culture, um, I think there are times things are called spiritual abuse that are not spiritually abusive. And I think there are some things that are called healthy that turn out to be spiritually abusive and manipulative and hypocritical. And the reason this matters and the reason we want to spend time on it is two reasons. Number one, from a personal point of view, um, I, I rarely meet somebody who, who, who is an, an antagonistic opponent of the church who also has not had a really bad experience with it. In other words, almost everyone I come into contact with who has, um, who is very, 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 like vehemently opposed to everything the church stands for. I, I don't meet many people who have no experience with the church. It's usually their vehemence is tied to hurt they've experienced at the hands of, of people or institutions calling themselves Christians. And so um, I think it's hugely important, particularly for those of you listening that are not fans of Jesus, church, Bible, whatever, that you know that, that, that um, that is a legitimate concern. And, and in fact, it's like the number one thing I hear more than any other thing that it used to be. So um, when I was in college in the stone ages, um, people were very much into something called apologetics. And it was, it was the, here's how you give answers to questions. So here's, here's 17 reasons I believe in God. Here's, you know, three proofs for the resurrection of Jesus. Here's four reasons why I trust the Bible. And certainly that, that was interesting and helpful and has a place. But I find that the vast majority of critiques of Jesus, uh, Jesus followers or Jesus following, 
now consists of moral objections. Instead of primarily intellectual objections, now, now the argument is following Jesus makes you a worse kind of person. And that, that is a huge deal. That is a, a big change. So we can have all the answers and no one cares because they see how poorly we treat uh, gay people, how much we uh, are trusting in the political processes to um, keep our liberties and entitlements and, and you know whatever critiques they want to give, that we're narrow-minded, bigoted, intolerant, so on. Even if they're, even if they're unfair critiques, um, we have to understand that in the history of the church, um, the, 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 the worst that you could say about the people in the early church was they're weird, uh, but they care for our poor. <laughs> you know, they have some funny customs, doggone it. But man, when the plague hits, they're the only ones that stay. And, uh, and so it seems like we, we, we've lost kind of any moral ground um, to stand on in the eyes of our culture. Not that we need it. But one of the reasons we've lost it is because um, we have allowed um, coercion, manipulation, deception, spiritual abuse... Um, to to walk under the guise of of something that's Christian, and we have not done a good enough job calling it out uh, and helping people find healing from it. And so, um, and and the irony in that is that the the scriptures take great pains to talk about the qualifications of leaders over God's people, um, um, how those how, the, how those leaders are supposed to be accountable. And, um, and there are just devastating critiques of, of the leaders uh, of God's people all throughout both the Old Testament in like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then in the New Testament from Jesus himself. Jesus himself has this ongoing dialogue with some of the religious leaders in, in, that's captured in every one of the biographies about him that um, is, provides devastating kind of critiques against this spiritually abusive, manipulative, toxic uh, kind of faith that has always been the temptation uh, to counterfeit the real thing. And so uh, what I want to do is, um, in Andy's absence, um, I want to just, I'll go shorter today so I don't get too um, boring, but um, uh, I want to look at a series of critiques that Jesus gives in a book called Luke. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus utters, um, they're called woes, the W-O-E. <laughs> um, they are prophetic oracles. They're judgment oracles that, that are leveled against the leaders, the religious leaders, at, at this point called Pharisees. Um, and we've talked a bit about Pharisees. Pharisees are, are greatly misunderstood. They had the most in common with Jesus. They were considered some of the most righteous people in Israel. Um, the caricature that is often had about Pharisees is much more complicated uh, and interesting. Some Pharisees fo- ended up following Jesus. So it's not a just unilateral condemnation. But Jesus finds himself at dinner. Again, he's always saying yes to dinner invitations, which I love that about Jesus. And um, he's eating with a Pharisee. And, and one of the things the Pharisees did is that they allowed a lot of tradition to grow up around the 613 commandments of the Old Testament. And they called that their oral tradition. And it was literally hundreds and thousands of commandments that were added to the original 613. And they were all added 
to protect people from breaking one of the 613. So for instance, if a command is, um, hey, don't watch TV on a school night, then one of the ways we can strengthen that command is don't even enter the room where the TV is on a school night. Or, or um, you know, hide the, uh, hide the remote on a school night so that you won't be tempted. I mean, and, and, and in that way, it was called fencing the law. You would build fences to keep you from even being close to breaking the original law. So, so um, what the Pharisees did, at least uh, one of the interesting debates they had among themselves, is they were very, very concerned with how you would eat and who you ate with. We've talked about this. It was called table fellowship in the first century. Who you ate with, how you ate, what food you ate, and then how the utensils you ate with were prepared. This was one of the areas where lots of oral tradition had come into play. And Jesus was always getting in trouble because the Pharisees held that the oral tradition was just as authoritative as the Old Testament text, Jesus did not. And so uh, Jesus didn't honor uh, their oral traditions and, and therefore got in trouble. Now in Luke chapter 11, I don't know what's, there's a sound. I don't know if that's outside. I don't know. I don't know. There's no cleaning people here. It's just me. Could be, um, could be the spirit of Jesus in the rapture. I'm not sure what's happening. Um, Luke chapter 11, verse 37 when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited uh, Jesus to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So one of the, one of the oral traditions that the Pharisees uh, thought authoritative was the idea that you had to do ceremonial washings. You had to have ceremonial washings for the utensils, for the cups and the dishes you would use, and you would have to have ceremonial washings for your hands that you would use uh, in order to be ritually clean and, uh, to, uh, enough to participate in the meal. Jesus did not do that, did not honor that, even though he was the guest of this Pharisee. And Jesus notices that the Pharisees offended by this. And then Jesus launches into this kind of prophetic critique uh, along the lines of the Old Testament prophets critiquing the leadership of Israel. And, and so the first thing he says, there, depending on how you count, there are five, six, or seven of these. He said, uh, the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you were full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Now, genius. Jesus, Jesus is genius. So one of, the, one of the big debates Pharisees had, and if you think people debate, religious people debate about dumb stuff now, oh my goodness. One of, and this is true. One of the literal debates that Pharisees had in Jesus' day was how you would clean cups and dishes uh, in order to use them in meals like the one the Pharisee was, was serving. There was one rabbinical school of thought that said, as long as you clean the inside of the cup, the outside, is, the outside of the cup is clean also. So all you had to do is clean the inside and the whole thing's clean. The other school of thought, I'm not making this up, is no, 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 you had to clean both the outside and the inside, but 
you had to use two separate rituals to do it. And so, so I, we think that the Pharisees um, that Jesus was eating with were of that camp because Jesus says, now then you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So notice what Jesus does here. Jesus takes this idea of a cup and a dish and the fact that there's an inside and an outside, and he uses it as a way to talk about their hypocrisy. So, so instead of worrying about the inside of cups and dishes versus the outside of cups and dishes, Jesus says that whole conversation is worrying about the outside, the external forms of religiousness and ignoring what's happening on the inside. So Jesus is diagnosing this as the difference between what's happening outside versus what's happening inside. He says, on the outside, you're worried about cups and dishes. You're worried about rituals and regulations and hundreds and, and, and thousands of commandments. But inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. So he takes the idea of a cup and he uses it as a, as a metaphor for a human being. He says, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? In other words, there's no distinction between inside and outside in God's sight. What are you talking about? You, you, you worry that, well, I have to wash the outside this way and the inside this other way. No, no, no. God made the whole thing. And, and similarly, when it comes to human beings, it's very, very easy to care um, about the externals in a way that's different than you care about what's really happening inside. And so Jesus zeroes in on this and says, listen, you guys worry about all the externals of religion and faith, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And these two words are pretty powerful words. The word for greed means to seize upon something by force, carries with it. It's not just monetary, although it's primarily that. It's it's the relentless hunger and desire for more. It's the never being content with stuff. And wickedness just means being full of evil and, and, and malice. And so Jesus, I mean, you're, this is the dinner conversation, right? Jesus doesn't wash and he takes this opportunity to launch into a critique of how obsessively they care about the outside of things, but they neglect the inside. That there's this big difference between how they present themselves on the outside and what they're really like on the inside. And the word that Jesus will use later to describe this is the word hypocrite. Now, that word is interesting. Um, and I, I've, I've read enough about it to, I think I can say with, uh, with some confidence, that this wasn't a pejorative. This wasn't a this wasn't a, um, a slam until Jesus got a hold of this word and used it in this way, because in the time of Jesus, a, the, a hypocrite was just somebody that wore a mask. It was a stage term. It was a drama term. Instead of using your real face to portray anger or sadness or happiness, in a Greek play, you would wear a mask that was happy, a mask that was sad. Um, you would wear a feminine mask if you were a man portraying a woman and so on. So there was always a difference between what your mask to the world was versus what your real face looked like. So there was so the idea that there was this distinction between what everyone saw on the outside and what you were really like, Jesus Jesus takes that and he and he uses it now to describe the uh, attempts of religious people, to care more about what's happening on the outside and ignoring about, about what's going on in the inside. And he, he levels this critique. Now, if you're not 
a fan of Jesus Church Bible, you are already at this point saying, yes, go Jesus. Because one of the things that drive us crazy about our world today are all of the scandals that come. Um, you know, the, the, the people that champion family values and then they have affairs. I mean, whatever. We've already talked about it. Um, we cannot stand the hypocrisy of, of, of people who are, you know, wanting to legislate the morality of others um, but have little morality of their own. And, and, and one of, the, one of the, the, the things you need to know about what Jesus was really like is that Jesus hates that too. And, um, and so he sees it in these religious people and he calls it out and he says, instead, you are full of greed. You are full of wickedness. You should be seeking generosity to the poor and that will make you clean. Now, now please understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't saying, hey, just start being generous and you'll be fine. No, no, no. He's talking about how it is that it's easy to focus on the outside and to neglect the inside. Hence the whole you know, temptation to, to hypocrisy. Because one of the great gifts of, of hypocrisy, and, and I know this because I, I happen to be one, um, is, is if you're focused on the externals, and the externals are really easy to identify in a lot of different versions of Christianity, right? Um, uh, when I was in college, um, it was read your Bible, have a quiet time, pray, share your faith, go to a church, give money to the church. Uh, for some of you, it, it was, here's the, here's the thou shalt not, don't have premarital sex, don't go to dances, don't listen to rock music, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and the great gift of focusing on the externals like that, just the lists of things, the great gift that gives you is the ability to know how you're doing. So at the end of the day, if I hadn't looked at pornography, if I hadn't, uh, you know, if I hadn't um, listened to a horrible band, but instead I'd read my Bible and I prayed that day, hey, I'd had a pretty good day. And, uh, and, and I could also have very bad days too. And, and so the great gift of focusing on the externals is you always know, you always knew where you stood. And if you're really twisted, you could also critique and judge other people by looking at their externals, right? Cause that's the only part of other people you can see. So the great gift of this whole mechanism of, of the idea that somehow we can be right before God by just trying harder Man, it, is, it has been a temptation of the people of God throughout all generations. And, and it's interesting that, that in, in the scriptures, um, that attempt to earn or to prove or to deserve God's love, God's favor, God's salvation, God's rescue, um, is, is really resoundly critiqued by Isaiah. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And uh, then the word filthy there actually means bloody. It's menstrual rags, uh, gross enough as that is. Or, or Paul talks about his religious pedigree and all the religious stuff that was true of him was rubbish. It was dung. It was um, a bad word that um, uh, I can't say on the air. Um, and, and the idea was simply this, that, that, that the attempt to try to find something you already have is unbelievably foolish. Uh, you can't earn God's love. You've got it. That's the idea. 
And so when Jesus looks at these religious leaders, he sees this disconnect between how they present themselves on the outside as fastidious, arguing about, do we clean the outside and the inside versus they're full of greed and wickedness, right? I mean, I, I had someone really close to me um, uh, who, who was a, just an incredible racist, uh, unbelievably greedy, uh, multiple affairs, and he got mad at me because, I mean, very, he was furious. And it, and it was a self-righteous fury. He was mad at me because I had played a card game um, with uh, the groom and the groomsmen of a wedding I was officiating in a church. So we, we weren't gambling. We were playing Euchre. All right. So that's a good Midwest game. Many of you won't even know what that is. But we were playing Euchre. It's just a, a way to, we were just killing time until the wedding started. And this individual found out about this and was so angry that I would play cards in a church. And <laughs> I, I didn't have the guts to say, you hypocrite, are you kidding me? You're going to worry about that when, you're, when your racism, your adultery, and your greed just sit before the world in full view? Come on, man. Oh, you know who that is. Oh, that's Seth Erie. That's the theory. We might have to wrap this podcast up because the family's the family's coming home. Hello, Nate. Hello, Mama. Hey, Sefi, come here, buddy. Come here. Uh, yeah, I need you to talk into this. I want you to say, okay, now you got to be gentle. Say hi. Hi. Say hi, Internet. Hi, Internet. Hi, Internet. Hi, Internet. <laughs> say I. 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 Love, love my love, daddy. I love my daddy. Yes. There you go. Oh, song. No, we're not going to do a song right now. All right. What? Did you have a good day at school? Yes. Okay. So, um, Seth Erie, hello. The whole family's, uh, I may have to pause because the whole family's entered into the home office. There's this deep violation now of uh, the inner sanctum. Um, Nate, you want to say anything? Hi. Nate, what's a 13-year-old, what's a 13-year-old, uh, almost 13-year-old think of the world right now? Some of it's good and some of it's bad. Uh, celebrity crush, go. Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. All right. Hannah, come here. So, um, hello, Voxers. You're getting the full... You're getting the full Eerie Child podcast. All right, this is Hannah. Hello. Hannah, true or false, you are playing in the uh, championship of uh, flag football tournament on Friday. True. You're the only girl on your team. True. You're one of the best defenders on your team. True. You've won, um, let's see, this will be your, what, fourth straight playoff mm -hmm. with this team because you're that awesome? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and Celebrity Crush? Okay, she said dad. No, I didn't. She said no, she I loves didn't. her dad. No, I didn't. Oh, oh. But the guy who plays Harry Potter. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe. There you go. All right. Thank <laughs> oh, you. Oh, I don't really like him. I just like Harry Potter, but he's made up. So So your celebrity crush is he's an imaginative <laughs> wizard. <laughs> Moses is That's... my celebrity crush. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. All right, I think we're going to have to hit pause on the uh, on the Vox podcast for today. 
We'll be back with some more woes later. Nate's uh, shaking his head at me right now. Um, may God bless you. May God keep you. May God shine his face mm-hmm. upon you and be gracious to you. Sefi turn. Sefi turn? Yes. All right, what are you going to say? Nate. Nate. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Nate. All right, Sefi. <laughs> All right, well, um, we'll see if uh, we can get back to this later. If not, God bless you. Have a great week. See ya. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.